This is a HeadGum Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this Black Girl Nerds Podcast Extra. We are doing a roundtable discussion on Luke Cage. The show premiered this past weekend on Netflix. It broke Netflix. And we're going to talk about everything from how it compares to Daredevil and Jessica Jones, as well as what we hope to see next season. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our Luke Cage Roundtable. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. This weekend, Luke Cage happened. Everybody was watching it. So many people was watching it, in fact, that it broke Netflix. And we were down for a couple of hours. But then we were right back up and we live tweeted and also trended many hashtags from the show on Twitter throughout the entire weekend. So we want to talk about what our thoughts were. We saw all 13 episodes, and I'm very happy to have a panel of guests with me to talk about that. We have Gabby, Kayla, Kristen, Tora, and JN here to discuss all things Luke Cage. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you you. for having us. Thank Thank you. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Well, let's talk about your feelings about the series as a whole and rating it on a one to 10 scale. Um, we will start in this order. JN, Kayla, Kristen, Tora, and Gabby, and then I'll go last. Well, like, I love this series. I, I liked it. I loved it a lot. And while I wouldn't give it a perfect 10, my marks off come from, like, really petty things. Like, it's an attempt to fit into the Marvel Universe while not really wanting to be related to the Marvel Universe. It seemed like it seems like sometimes it was chained down and it doesn't even really want to reference the Netflix shows really directly. It's these oblique references like that cat in Hell's Kitchen or that big green dude when even everyone in the real world knows who the Hulk is. I mean, come on. And um but the 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 parts that did work for me is basically how it seems to embody an idea of a black experience but doesn't try to speak for the entire black experience it seems to be a sliver of things and that sliver still is enough to resonate and ring true to many people who even live outside of it like um the barbershop scenes they rang true to me because that's what that's the barbershop culture I was immersed in growing up. And it was, you know, pretty cool to see that um, something like that is also something that happens in Harlem. I actually didn't know that before. It kind of seemed more like a Midwest thing. Um, it's just that, like, I, I, I really love this show, and I would uh, give it at least an 8.5. Excellent. I, I, think, I, I think I'm there, too, with Jan on the, the Marvel references. Um, that got annoying after a while. If I heard Claire say, I know a good lawyer one more time, as much as I love the line the first time. <laughs> I know time, she said it multiple times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get it. And then I love I love that on someone on Twitter today said they referenced who was the real good lawyer. I was like, yeah, let's be real. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I have to give it, a 9.973 because there are little things that I would like. I'm nitpicking. Um, 
But, I mean, you really couldn't find much wrong with the show. I love that a lot of people who have taken the time to actually watch the show and watch it for what it was, I read it somewhere that it was called Unapologetically Black, and I love that because the show resonated with so many people. There were so m- Never once in the show was anyone's blackness called into question, and that happens a lot within the black community, and I think that that not being a part of the show was great. No matter what color of black you are, you were just black. And that resonated a lot with me. And I'm very thankful to the show for that. So I stand by my 9.973. Um, I'll be honest with y'all. I absolutely loved it. I give it like an 800. <laughs> <laughs> but let me preface this with I um, am very new to the Marvel Universe. Um, I, I mean, I've, I've seen the movies, you know, and but I've never... I'm one of those passive watchers where it's fun and I walk out and I may not know the background of the various characters. So for me, I mean, there's other reasons why I love this show too, but from somebody who, I remember my friend's husband was not an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan, but he noticed that I was, I love that show and he said that's perfect for someone who doesn't necessarily know all the backstories. So um, I'm kind of taking it at, at complete virgin, virgin eyes. Um, what I really, really loved, another thing I loved about this show was like um, with Pop's funeral, uh, when Cottonmouth gets up to speak and he starts giving shout, shout outs to artists from Harlem. Mm-hmm. Um, they, you know, they really, um, you know, uh, it's 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 just interesting. It's like they they recognize the importance of Harlem as a community, just in general, in real life, and and they brought that into it. It's it's even though it's a superhero flick, and we don't have you know dudes that are walking around that are bulletproof, but at the same time they're embracing the real people, um, like um, that uh, the one barber. I can't think of, I thought I wrote it down, and yes, I took notes while watching the show, because I knew that (laughs) someone was going to ask me a question, I'll be like, flip, 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 but the one barber, I can't think of his name, is a real barber, I actually looked him up on, um, on Google, um, the one who, not barber, I'm sorry, the tailor who came to, to fit Luke out. Oh, Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan. I'm I'm like, dude, that, that does not look like somebody who's. So I'm sitting there playing. I was like, oh, shoot, that's a real person. Oh, you guys get extra props for this. <laughs> you know, it, it just, you know, you were saying the the truthness of the barbershop. I used to hang out in a barbershop when I was in high school because I was a real tomboy. And you're right. I mean, it is. I mean, that's that's the barbershop I even know living on Cape Cod, you know, or, you know, the Dapper Dan thing or when um, when Luke got up uh, when they were in Jackie Robinson Park. And he made a comment about this is our legacy. This isn't just a park. Look around. You know, it's like little things like that, that it's kind of, you know, I the unapologetically black is, you know, that is the best description because it's just little things that you expect, like one of the Wayne brothers to pop up and scream message, <laughs> you know, <laughs> <at> various, <laughs> various parts. Um, 
I, I will, I, I know I'm very, very excited to talk to you guys, especially about the music aspect, so I'm going to back up a little from that until it's it's time to, to really take those down, but I just, I loved, loved what I've I've watched, and, and I'm definitely going to go back again to see, to catch stuff that I didn't even catch the first time. So, I also thought that um, Luke Cage was amazing, and um, I would have to give it maybe a 9.95, no, a 9.75, because um, (laughs) not only was it just a love story to blackness in general, it also felt like a love story to New York, to Harlem, and um, a lot of shows that that make... um, that film in specific areas, it, it, it felt like they really captured the soul of, of what they, uh, of Harlem. Like it, it felt like they really cared about that, about the area. You Having Dapper Dan show up that, now he's a part of the Marvel universe. You know what I mean? Now sway now method man that like, you know what I mean? Like they're now a part of the Marvel universe. Like that's things like that. That's amazing to me. The fact that they, and having just having us be able to see that on Netflix. And I remember when I was watching it, I was just like, I wonder how many white people are watching this going, who is this random old guy giving Luke Cage a suit? And why is this so meaningful? But I screamed when I saw Dapper Dan (laughs) Um, because of what he represents. He represents clothing black people in luxury fashions when so many high-end places refused to do that for us so it, it just was representative of so much and I just appreciate Luke Cage for that and I also appreciate them being able to take kind of the bones of something that um, people talk a lot about Luke, the origins of Luke Cage being like black exploitation, and I, I think I was kind of act, apprehensive at the beginning about how they were gonna represent Black Mariah, um, and they just took it and did it so beautifully, and I appreciate that. And the only qualms with it I have is that now I can't ask people to go get coffee without it being awkward. So. That's it. That's my 0.25 off. I would give it a 10, mainly because of the black women in the show. And just Mm. like, I just love seeing just conversations between black women. And then just like the matriarchal, like Mama Mabel, where it's like she was that scary, but also you could probably understand how she got to that point and why she needed that power. Um, And just, I don't know, and just like Mariah, how like, you know, she had her own power, you know, becoming a politician and, and stuff like that, but also like how she was the quiet snake, you know, that actually came out and struck. And I just thought how like that was, you know, kind of perfect how, like, these men are, like, snakes, 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 and she was the one to attack and be the problem for Diamondback and Cottonmouth. And just, like, how, I don't know, I loved Misty and how, you know, she wasn't just a detective, you know, a hard-ass detective. She was actually, like, really intelligent, like, really, you know, 
how they had her like sit there and just stare at these pictures and like like be able to walk through what would happen that's like that sherlock level shit i mean <laughs> sherlock level stuff that um, <laughs> that i wanted to see because i was like you know automatically i was like she's 10 times better than sherlock right now <laughs> just for that and um another thing that really that really put this, you know, rating through the roof for me is just like how I, I was very surprised how unapologetic they were about the conversation between black people and the police and how there were moments where I had to like pause the show because it was just so real, you know, after just like all the stuff that's been happening in the news lately. And then just like how it was able to move me like that, where it's like you didn't, you know, shy away from this conversation. You actually had it. And it wasn't in a way where it was like, you know, all just black and white. It's very gray area where people mess up, where it's like, these cops are humans, therefore they mess up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people are humans too. They they mess up too, but like, sometimes it's literally nobody's fault what goes on and we're like really brutalized for it. And it's just like the vision of seeing this black guy in a hoodie with bullet holes in it, you know, being unstoppable was just so it's what's needed, you know? And I think that's why they created that character in the first place. But I know I love the show. I was, I was like excited for every episode. Nice. Um, am I the only one giving the lowest rating? Um, (laughs) I, um, I'm giving it a nine. First of all, Luke Cage is by far the best Marvel TV show that we have out. Um, it definitely surpasses Daredevil, Jessica Jones, uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's really compelling, amazing television. I loved everything from the performances to the framing of the camera. I mean, that scene with Cottonmouth in front of the Biggie picture was everything. Uh, so just little things like that as a film geek, I really appreciated the lighting was spectacular and Marvel does such a great job with specifically using different kinds of lighting to highlight um, sort of the, the ambiance of each character from the reds that we see in Daredevil to the purples that we see in Jessica Jones and then the yellow gold color that we see for Luke Cage. So I, I really love that. And uh, Misty Knight was everything. <laughs> I, I really went in with the expectation that we wouldn't see much of Misty Knight just because of the experiences that I've seen from, you know, Storm and X-Men to even Vixen being an animated four and a half minute webisode series and having an afterthought of a role on Arrow. I just wasn't expecting to see a fully flushed out, you know, fully realized character. And I got that. So I loved everything about Luke Cage in that aspect. And the reason why I'm giving it a nine is because of Diamondback. I just felt like, and I tweeted about this during the live tweet that we did this past weekend. I just felt like his character was so tropey. Like it it really was, I called it the tropiest trope that ever troped because <laughs> his character, while he's this one that's sort of like got the whole parental abandonment issues going on and that's why he wants to seek revenge against his brother And then the whole, you know, Christian dogma thing, and he's using, you know, verses to sort of justify his villainy. I've seen that in so many different films, and and he just was like a trope on top of tropes. And then the scene where he's playing the record, and Dusty Springfield's son of a preacher man comes on, I was just like, oh, God. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're mm-hmm. right on the nose with this. Um, a little too on the nose. So yeah, it, there, there were some things that I I had issues with with Diamondback, and um, I I really would have liked to have seen Cottonmouth through and through from episodes one through thirteen. But anyway, that yeah, I I, I overall you know aside from the Diamondback thing, um, I thought it was a great show, and, and that's why I'm giving it a nine. So. I have to agree with you on the Diamondback thing. I liked his portrayal. I mean, because the way he was acting, I thought that was pretty. I thought it was pretty well, and it was engrossing. But mm-hmm. I also thought it was pretty tropey, and I also didn't like how the last fight scene was basically the last scene of Ricochet. Oh wow, he, you took it back. I don't even remember. I've seen that's that. Movie. Yeah, that's where you know when <laughs> Denzel Washington takes um John Lithgow to John the yeah. to the Watchtowers and he beats the shit out of him. You know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it just yeah, it, it it got a little predictable at times for me, and um, I I wasn't expecting though. What I really liked about that fight sequence was when Luke lets um, uh, Willis punch him incessantly in the chest over and over again, and that the reason why he did that was because by fighting back it would feed his fury. I I really liked that uh, that part of it, but uh, other than that, I just you know. I could have done without Diamondback. I know he's a canon character, but uh, it, it would have been nice if they played it through with just Cottonmouth as the villain. So where did where did he have time to go find the record to play? That was I thought he was freestyling. That's what he kept saying that he went off the dome, and then I was like, "You have this ready to play right now? Where did you have time to go find this album to play on the record player?" I have issues. That was the only issue I had with him. Like, I'm pretty sure his collection of records are just, like, songs that are about either religion or Christianity or, <laughs> like, gospel songs. Like, I just, it's son of a preacher man. That, that to me, was hysterical. I'm I sure he laugh- did that with humor. Yeah, I mean, I would laugh more if he had, like, brought out Kurt Franklin stomped and then stomped out, you know, him out. Oh, that would have been hilarious. Oh gosh, that would have been even cornier than Son of a Preacher Man. I laughed at that because Son of a Preacher Man put me just, I, I was sitting there like, really? <sighs> okay, sounds <Yeah>. good. <laughs> so, my next question to you guys is Were you surprised by any appearances? There were a lot of guest appearances on this show. I think this is the first time a Marvel TV show has had so many guest appearances, both from musical artists to, you know, our, our favorite appearance that we always wait for, Mr. Stan Lee. Um, so, yeah, let's let's go into that. We'll go in the same order. Who were you surprised by on Luke Cage? Uh, Sadiq and Del and the Delphonics. <laughs> like, um, I, I wasn't, exp- I, like, the Sadiq thing just sort of like set the tone for the cloud. I was like wondering, like, are they gonna keep this up? Like, are they just gonna keep showing the actual people and mm-hmm. ha- incorporate them into this world? And and then by the time they got to the Delphonics, you know, it was like, wow. I mean, it's like they. I'm pretty sure that they asked a lot of people, and a lot of people said yes, and they sort of had to whittle down their perfect list for uh, for who could actually show up on the show. And I'm I'm just surprised it just like this it's basically a who's who of like um hip hop and like soul music and even R and B and it's just yeah. I was just like 
and like well it goes back to um what we said before about like how these people are in like um are in the Marvel universe now and like it sort of like raises like all sorts of ideas because like I mean what do they write about like now that like aliens and superheroes and stuff are all around do they still do like their regular music or like has mm-hmm. it evolved to like the Marvel Cinematic Universe sensibility hmm I think I think they would treat it differently on like the uh, global superheroes than it would be the street level ones just because the street level ones are a reflection of like you know contemporary modern day society but the global ones is more I don't know I, I feel like it's we're not that connected like pop culture wise so we wouldn't hear you know method man tracks <laughs> you know I I don't know but then again I mean you know they're they're in New York City and it's still in contemporary day but I, I feel like it's a little it's not as connected as it would be on the street level uh, shows. Uh, I was very surprised to see they could have gone the route of going with um, the Breakfast Club of New York. They could have gone that route and gone with having Charlemagne and that whole group. But going with Sway was so refreshing because we all love Sway. I don't know. I mean, the only person that can get angry at Sway is Kanye West. Um, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) he's the only person and he represents so much of what we grew up with when it came to that transition to what we have as modern hip hop now. And Mm -hmm. the hip hop references, you mean, you, you guys know, I, I avidly collect the Marvel hip hop variants and I wanted to see how hip hop would connect in this and it connected in ways that I wasn't ready for, you know, um, it was so, so great to see. And what was so refreshing was to not have a Rudy Giuliani appearance in a New York episode or New York show because he shows up in everything that is based in New York and to not have him show up was amazing because I really can't look at him without getting upset. So to not have that, that was great too. But um, you know, just the scene with, you know, with Method Man, that was, that was so, like, huge to have in a, in a show that, like they said, is unapologetically black. So we're going to go with this huge influence in hip hop. And so that was, that was awesome. Um, let's see. It, I, the one thing that surprised me um, was Sonia Song. Um, yes, I oh completely it threw me off, and the fact that she still played a cop, <laughs> and that she's a lieutenant, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and it could, Kima 2.0. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I literally yelled out Kima when I saw her. I was like, that's my girl. She's she's one of my favorite actresses, and so I I was very surprised about that. I um. I think the Rudy Giuliani thing, <laughs> I think uh, he screwed that up probably about six months ago. So <laughs> he, he probably got really stupid and they were like, yeah, we're not going to tell, we're not going to even approach his, his dumb ass. Um, I also was very surprised and just to touch on the music for a hot second was the Charles Bradley was, was him. Because uh, you see, I mean, looking at the other folks who were singing at the club, um, he, you know, like Faith and and Raphael Sadiq and even Jendea. I was like, okay, you know, that's a, 
that's a you know certain say you know age range that would know and like these particular artists but for charles bradley um up there i was like ah, i had to i had to you know nod my head and be like i gotta give him props because um he has a tendency i mean and, and you guys could tell me i'm completely wrong but um you know it's it's mostly the older set that may like charles bradley or know who he is so even though technically he's he's new to the you know to to the bigger stage i thought that was really cool seeing him now charles bradley's been making like a quiet rise and like um he's been making like a bunch of like tv appearances and voice acting and everything in the past three years or so so i mean like I was familiar with Charles Bradley, so I—I I mean, so it was a pleasant surprise to have him on there. But I think, like, um, I think young people are starting to get hip to him. Yeah, he's—I mean, I've—I've I've seen him in concert once. My mom saw him in concert in L.A. Um, at the Hollywood Bowl, and I was like, oh, <laughs> like it's really cool because I mean, I've been a fan for so long, and it's—it's it's almost like, um, you know, sometimes when you see when you know an artist that is real that has like a small community that really likes them you tend to forget that there's other people who who would appreciate that that artist as well and probably has you know are following him as well it's just like you're not connecting with the other folks so it was really cool seeing him you know um them giving him a chance and probably even introducing him to even more of the of the uh marvel fans um so I think I already told you guys how much I freaked out about seeing Dapper Dan <laughs> um, and seeing Method Man um, and his reaction to Luke Cage um, and his um, rap about him was amazing. I was definitely surprised by that. But and I, I don't know if this counts as an Easter egg or like, but the Deltas made an appearance. Um, the Black Greek Letter Organization kind of made an appearance. Um, um, when <laughs> Misty is talking to her um, captain and she's basically like, oh, so you're going to just let your sore ski weed on out of here? And yes. she's making references to <laughs> that. She's like, um, and it's ooh loop. And I was just like, okay. The AKA Misty and me screamed. And I definitely, when she said, she's my soror, I, and Misty said, oh, so you just gonna let her ski weed on out of here? I definitely said, mm-mm, them some deltas. And when she finally <laughs> said, it's oop, I was like, see, told you, I knew they won't know So, yeah, that was definitely surprising. Um, I would say, I think uh, when I first saw Faith Evans, I was just kind of like, oh, okay. I see that there's going to be a running theme with his, like, club. Um, there were some faces, I'm sorry to say, I did not recognize. <laughs> but I at least knew, like, Method Man. <laughs> and old dude with, you know, classic man guy, I forgot his name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I do want to point this out. Alfre Woodard, she was also in Captain America Civil War. And so I was yeah. just kind of like confused of like maybe Mariah wanted to mess with Tony Stark's head and pretended to be this lady. <laughs> <laughs> that will explain how maybe she has a twin. I don't know. Oh, uh, no. It's basically, it's basically that um, Marvel often like 
recast people who've had minor roles and just expect the audience to ignore it or not care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I thought oh, that no, was really I'm funny. No, I went there in my head. I'm like, ooh, okay, so she was in Captain America, so that's how Misty's going to get her arm, and this is how it's going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, when they first announced her as Black Mariah because Civil War had already come out. And I was just like, but wait, she was in. So, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Um, so for me, I I really loved seeing Faith Evans. I just I love her. Um, been a long time fan. That song Long Live the Chief by Jadena. That's just that was the perfect song for, for this series. So I, I really loved seeing his appearance. And I really liked seeing Sonya Braga come back. She I've been a big fan of, of Sonya Braga from her from her film work and uh, to see her playing Claire's mom as Soledad Temple uh, was really refreshing. And the other Sonya, Sonya San, um, you know, I just got hit to the wire. Um, I'm covering right now, but I did just start the wire like a year ago and fell in love with the series so it was good to see to see her back and I, I hope to see her in other roles where she's not playing a cop because um, she's a fantastic actress yeah those those were some of my favorite appearances and I really loved the appearance with with Method Man in the bodega just because that was such a real moment and uh, I had tweeted this as well that you know bodegas specifically in New York City all types of folks frequent those places and you could easily run into Method Man or any celebrity in a bodega. I remember running into Tyra Banks when I uh, lived in New York and she was like getting some orange juice and this, the cash, it was actually the cashier that was like, you know, going total fanboy on her. He's like, aren't you Tyra Banks? She's like, yeah. Um, how much is the orange juice again? Like she was ready to get up out of there. But, um, but yeah, that, that just felt like a really real moment. It didn't feel like it was fan service for Method Man fans or hip hop fans that that could totally happen at, in a bodega in Harlem. So that that was a great scene to watch. So thoughts on music. How did you feel about it? What did you like or didn't like? Oh, I love the music. I can't wait till the soundtrack hits um, Apple in five days. It's supposed to be coming out on the on the seventh, and I, I just I love the the and whole. And it's currently on Spotify. Oh, it is. Yeah. I did not know that. Now I have to go do that immediately after this is over. <laughs> um, yeah, they tweeted out a link when um, Netflix was broken. <laughs> I, I mean, it was able to cover like so much of like. Well, not just like black pop, pop pop media, but specifically urban black media. Like, um, it doesn't really have that rural feel. It feels like it. Like a lot of the music seems to come from people who've come from sort of dispossessed um, areas of like major urban um, cities. And I mean, it even and it even was able to weave in some of that black exploitation stuff without coming off as cheesy which you know sometimes you fear it would be like you know you think they would just you know play that funk riff with a bass and do that uh keyboard thing and they'll call it a day but no they, they went all in on that and 
they made it come alive, and I love that. I got choked up when People Make the World Go Round came on. I And because it took me back up to being with my aunt and, you know, just hanging around the house with her. And that's just the things that we listened to growing up. So when it came on, I just, it kind of stopped me for a second because I wasn't expecting that. Um, the choice for placement of songs was amazing. When, like Jamie said, when he did uh, the, the Chief song, Oh My God. And what was amazing and so powerful about that, they weren't even playing to a freaking audience. They were playing to him doing Mm. a sound check. And and to have that that scene happen the way it did, only someone who understands hip-hop and understands what it means and because to some people, surface-wise, hip-hop is bang bang it's not that so to have the it stripped down because that to me that's a stripped down moment that was a stripped down scene you mm. weren't playing to you didn't have an audience getting super because it had they been playing and i think that was smart because had they been playing to an audience with that song the crowd would have been hype we all know that but to have it to where there was just them doing their sound check and him upstairs in the balcony was powerful. So the music to me was every moment that the music was there, there was meaning to that music, meaning to that moment. Even when it was Son of a Preacher Man, like even then it had a moment had a meaning. So I, I, you know, I I can't express how much gratitude I have towards the show for the music. Um, I'll be honest, I have completely geeked out on the music with, with the show. I mean, the, it's like this, this show is like, um, Sugar Hill, New, uh, New Jersey Drive, and, um, oh my god, I can't think of the other movie, just all wrapped up together with a little bit of New York Undercover. Belly? Yeah, Belly, but no, um, uh, with, uh, Nino Brown. New Jack City. Thank you. <laughs> it's like all those soundtracks. Thank you. You don't understand. I said it at work today, got a high five, and walked away like, I'm going to say it tonight. And I zoned out. So, <laughs> But um, that's how it felt to me. It was like the music, you know, um, it, it came with purpose. I mean, you had my favorite. I mean, I knew I was going to be completely in love with this when it was announced that each episode is a Gangstar song. That's when I was like, oh, we're going to do this. I got you guys. Okay. And then when um, right before uh, Luke uh, hits Christmas Addicts and he puts the headphones on and it's a Wu-Tang the Ruckus song comes on, I was like, I literally was standing in the middle of my living room, like jumping up and down excited because I was like, this is if that... If I'm about to blow, not blow up a place, but I'm about to go into a place and take over, that's going to be on my headphones. <laughs> like, it's like every song that was chosen, every performance that they put in, and the music that they used, you can tell that there was, you know, such 
thought into it and then it was just it just amazed me i mean it was like you know for me it was like peak blackness on a small screen for you know an hour times 13 i mean it was just it was just amazing i actually couldn't on Friday when it dropped, I was stuck at work, and as much as I was trying to figure out a way to sneak into a conference room to watch it, um, I couldn't, and that's when I discovered the soundtrack on Spotify, and literally, like, at one point, one of my coworkers walked by and started laughing because I had my headphones on, sitting there working on something with work, and I was bopping to the music. I mean, there was, it was obvious that my head was in a completely different place, because to me, especially the soundtrack that they released or, you know, the the music, the compilation, it, to me, it just represents like my high school and college years. I mean, it's like, it's, it's like the perfect New York, you know, hit, East Coast hip hop with like, that basically is straight storytelling. And I just, I thought it was phenomenal. And the actual um, music, music, uh, the score of it, is gorgeous and I'm mm. I'm so jealous of the people I think it's in Los Angeles they're gonna do it where they're actually going to be playing the score live over the one of the episodes I think I read that somewhere or it's either one or two of the episodes are, they're gonna do it like that and I was like I would kill to be in the audience to see this at work I mean it's just it was just awesome. Like I said, it's just all those those classic 90s movies with the awesome soundtracks and, you know, I mean, with the, you know, I just, it had that type of, in the, that New York undercover feel to it where each song ha- represents a storyline. So I'm sorry, I got really excited there. So I, I, I will pause. This is your wheelhouse. <laughs> this is what you love. <laughs> um, I completely agree. I loved the very... Um, the very kind of 90s feel to the music. I, I loved all of the soundtrack to the series. It gave it a very, um, the vibe to it was just amazing. Um, I I immediately wanted all of the music. Um, the only, the only thing that I, I think I could say about it, um, which is kind of an issue that I think I have with, hip hop purists in general is that I, I think I would have loved to see like Luke Cage beat somebody's ass to like some something a little more modern <laughs> too like I mean I, I, I remember um, during um, Cottonmouth's like speech at Pops um, at Pops Memorial there he he mentions um, the people that are from Harlem I, I think I just would have liked to Hear just one or two modern songs. That's all. But it. But I think part of part of the series was the nostalgia of Luke Cage. So I, I, I got it. I just you know, in bringing it, bringing the series forward and modernizing it. I think we could have we could have had we could have had a little bit of both. That's all. I absolutely love the music. Um, I felt like it made sense, you know, because the history of Harlem and their music scene is just like you had to have a beautiful, like, you know, number of songs, whether they're, you know, hip hop to like crooning, you know, like playing Go Ring or anything like that. It just was perfect. Like every like 
moment where they had like a song just playing through somebody's like you know or like towards the you know i can't even explain it just like perfect scenes where it's just like yes they needed this song this is perfect you know um and it's kind of like you i don't know music really makes the scenes for me um especially my you know when Luke Cage went into that building, like I, that, you know, I did get really excited too. I mean, I didn't jump up and down, but I was like, yes, yes. You know, and I just love those moments. And I think they did a really good job because they, they just, they had to. Um, but yeah, no, I loved it. Yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with all of you guys. I really love the music. I thought the music did enhance a lot of the scenes. Someone on Twitter asked, how did you think that the Luke Cage scene in the hallway compared to the Daredevil scene in the hallway? And I thought that the Luke Cage was more supreme in the fact that the Bring the Ruckus song was playing in the background. Like the the music really did help enhance and, and make these scenes more interesting and more compelling. And I just really love the fact that they paid homage to the black exploitation era of films you know having folks like the stylistics and the delphonics up there singing as crooners and um also the score was so beautiful with lots of elements of jazz and uh it it, it felt contemporary with the hip-hop music with having jadena performing to also having these really great um hits from you know the 60s and 70s and and really um, infusing that into the show. So I appreciated that they were able to blend all of those different genres of music so well. And uh, I, I take it that's pretty hard to do. And I, I really feel like Cheo Hidari Coker definitely gets the credit because he used to work for Vibe magazine. He was a music journalist for many years. So he knows his music. And uh, he definitely did a fantastic job with Luke Cage. So Props to him for that. Oh, yes, and actually, and props Definitely. to Shahi <laughs> Mohammed too, because he was really um, Yes. Yes, absolutely. He sure was. So I, I want to talk about some of the hot takes that were done on on the interwebs with respect to, like, essays and, and critical think pieces, if you will, uh, about Luke Cage. And there was a few that came out. One in particular was written by a New York Times reporter, got a lot of people upset on Twitter. Um, I didn't get upset because it was very predictable. Um, It was a white writer that said that the film was, or the TV show was very centered around race and didn't really focus on uh, his qualities as a superhero. And he just didn't understand that. He didn't grasp that. And if you don't read the comics, if you don't know about Luke Cage's history, you may think something like that. Plus, when you're white, you don't think about <laughs> cultural experiences of what it is to be a person of color. So I expected to see those kind of think pieces come from the New York Times. So I didn't get as upset as everybody else did. I did get upset about an article that was ran on The Ringer about respectability politics and that Luke cage the show as well as the characters encompassing of that specifically speaking to the use of the n-word and i wanted to get your thoughts on first of all do you find that the show promotes respectability politics do you think that he is a character uh that 
is encompassing of that? Like, what exactly is respectability politics to you? Because I guess for me, my definitions, I, I don't see someone like Luke Cage as someone who is trying to be respectable in the faces of white people, which is what I always thought respectability politics is. You know, Bill Cosby telling uh, people of color to, you know, pull up their pants and stuff like that. Like, that's what I think of. But uh, this article points out the use of the N-word and the fact that Luke Cage doesn't like it being used towards him. He falls into that category. So let's go around and um, or feel free to just jump in if you have passionate thoughts about this. I, I just wanted to know what your your opinions are on the Ringer issue as well as the New York Times issue if you want to give feedback on that. Well, I'm not surprised, like you said before, about the, you know, the white dude just being a little bit out of touch because it's like you can't. It's a it's a big black guy in America. You know, you can't just not talk about race, especially right now. Um, but I, you know, was reading this article that you're talking about from The Ringer. And I think, you know, he felt, you know, a type of way about it because the uh, culture, you know, was saying that, you know, he, you know, Luke needs to be someone we can aspire to be. And I felt like if he was the kind of guy that used that language all the time, like somebody who didn't respect themselves, then, you know, so and so. And so that person was just kind of like, oh, he thinks that people who use the N word don't respect themselves. So I, I see why he kind of got really into his feelings about it. Um, but I didn't feel that Luke Cage you know, subscribes to respectability politics. I didn't feel like he was pushing those ideas because I'm very sensitive to that because of just like how many people in my family are like that as well as, you know, outside of it. And it kind of really, it really bothers me. And so like if Luke Cage did that, then I would have been not about this show at all. But I felt like I, you know, I'm cool with people being like, don't, you know, don't call me the N word, but it's whatever to me um, because like, I mean, I don't, I, I just like, I don't even say it a lot. I don't care if people say it to me, like, you know, in a friendly manner, um, if they're like my friends and stuff like that. But I can understand if you, you don't want to say it or be called in like a nigga at all, it's fine. Um, but, uh, and so that's why I thought that, that's kind of what I thought Luke Cage was like. He was just one of those people like, Hey, don't call me that. But you know, you know, whatever, you know, he didn't get on anybody else doing it, you know? So that's why I didn't think that he was subscribing to that respect, that part of respectability. I mean, okay, so I think that when reclaiming a word, as like with the word nigga, it, as black people, we're all allowed to set our own boundaries and say, you know, this bothers me because of this, or I'm comfortable with this level of usage of the word. And that's what Luke Cage was doing. But because he's the seen as the protagonist in the story, I think that the writer of the article may have felt like it was coming off as Luke Cage saying to the world, nobody should say the word nigger. <laughs> so, right. so <laughs> instead of him just saying, this is what I feel for me and don't call me that brother instead of, you know, so I just. I kind of, I kind of thought that it sort of aligns with like, like with what other characters are doing. Like we, when we meet other characters, they only want to be called certain things because it's the image they want to project. So, right. like, like 
Cottonmouth doesn't want to be called Cottonmouth. Mariah doesn't want to be called Black Mariah. Pops would rather be called Pops instead of Henry Hunter. And so for Luke, he doesn't want to be called the N-word. It just fits in with what everyone else is doing. He's not saying no one can use the N-word. It's just that when you speak to him, this is the image he wants to project. And he wants to be Luke Cage. Exactly. You know, this is one of those situations where I think these writers were, or that writer was thinking way too hard about something. I mean, <laughs> and way too fast. Yeah. Because can I just say that the article had a lot of plot points that were inaccurate. Yeah. So it seems like he just saw it through one reading or watched the show through one watching and then just wrote the article and was like, let's hurry up and get this on the interweb so people can get and rant about it. And, and get click, clickbait. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my whole thing is like kind of taking it from how we were talking earlier about how the barbershop is 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 real, you know. So, you know, of course you're going to have. I mean, out of all my, you know, my friends of color, I have some who drop the N word like it's going out of style, and I have others that are just like, yeah, you're not going to use that around me, and I'm not going to use that word. I mean, that's just it's a personal. It's it's a it's it's a personal situation. I mean, so I I don't understand why someone would take that and start talking about oh he's just you know the respectability politics things. It's like he is who he is. You know, I mean he doesn't swear. He doesn't use the n word or he swore a couple times. But you know what I'm saying? Like that's just he's a normal person. That that and and it's another view. I mean I read this one article and I'm I'm not unfortunately I can't think of of who it was but it was you know basically talking about how you know you know basically that you know this this show encompasses the pretty much the the whole black experience like there's it doesn't there is not one these characters are so multi-dimensional and they even though it does take place in Harlem it shows that these experiences are your are people of color or black people are completely different from each other. They're not just, you know, you're from Harlem, so this is how you're going to act. So, right. I mean, that was just how, I, that's how I'm taking it. It was like, you know, this fool just wanted to, um, you know, had to probably get forced, quote unquote, to watch this program and decided he wasn't going to like it from the giddy up with all the press that it was getting. And so, you know, we had to deal with his tears. <laughs> I, I, think, I think I got finished with, trying to you know with people you know and white dudes releasing pieces before people can take a breath they did that shit with jessica jones with oh it was more so about how she felt like she was a victim and they did the same thing with that um they didn't like that it was you know about a woman's experience with an abusive relationship so i was not surprised that they were going to do it and white explain the word nigga to black people well, I have to correct you. The writer of this Ringer article is black. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, in other articles that I did read, um, it it just seems like they didn't get the significance of that as well because then Diamondback says, he doesn't like the word nigga, but then Diamondback says, nigga, I'm your brother. There is significance in this whole thing. There's a reason that words are put into shows. It's not just put in there just to be in there. Um, right. So words that, mean that, things. They weren't words mean things. I, I didn't, you know, apparently, 
Um, you know, <laughs> that's what bothers me most because that was a significant part of that. As much as I laughed when he said that because it was just like a trope, or it was a very tropey thing for him to say, right, Damien? To, <laughs> to say, you know, it's very. But then it was also really cool to see that scene because it was very stylistic to 70s black exploitation films with that scene like nigga I'm your brother dun 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 like that's <laughs> me <laughs> like like I mean honestly I think I expected like a funk guitar to come out of nowhere and I would have been like Ooh. you know it just seems so fitting but that's why it was there and so to tell somebody that it's like why like take a breath take a breath after you've watched it but I mean like Kristen said he probably didn't want to have to do a recap on it and this is what we got from that yeah I, it just makes I'm curious to know if the conversation surrounding the n-word was never a part of the Luke Cage series would this article even pop up you know what I'm saying like I just it, it didn't make sense to me but anyway so so moving on to our final question of the night how does this show compare with Daredevil and Jessica Jones? And what did they get right or did not get right? Um, for me, I think this is the first show that actually earned all 13 of its episodes. Um, Jessica Jones and Daredevil, they kind of stall. Like, at mm. some point, at some point, they're just like, well, you know, they earned all 13 episodes. So everyone do something really stupid or really slow. So we can get this, get a full 13 out of this. But, but this one, it seemed like it earned all 13 of those episodes. And I think it's better than, I think it's better than both of them. And especially season two of Daredevil. And, but, um, and I think like, um, I think though the only place they have an edge is, Daredevil, at least at least the first season, put in more work to connect it to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a way that actually seemed integrated, as opposed to, you know, just paying lip service, but in a way where people can't really tell what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, that's so hard because I. As a woman, I loved Jessica Jones, so it's really hard for me to compare Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. It was way better than than Daredevil. Daredevil's really good. And I forgot to mention, they at least said Frank Castle's name. They at least said that. I will give them that. That wasn't one of their... That was a nice Easter egg, yes. (laughs) So that that was good. I will give them that point. So they get 9.74. But... I don't know. We'll have to see how this goes. I'm more interested into seeing how the relationships are going to go. Is Misty going to end up with with Danny? Um, And is, you know, Luke going to end up with Jessica? Is it going to stay true to the relationships that are in the the comics? That's that's where I'm I'm wondering, because that's, you know, with Luke and Claire and you know Misty walking out feeling herself up in in the club that that was amazing and I'm like okay so I'm I'm hoping she isn't so tied down into a relationship 
off the bat, but I'm wondering, you know, what will happen. So it's it's really hard since they are going to kind of start to interconnect when it comes to Jessica and, and um, Iron Fist, too. So, I mean, it's hard to compare because they're going to enter, they're going to intertwine so much. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, oh, I'll be honest. I This show blew my mind. Um, I am a huge, huge, huge Jessica Jones fan. Uh, Daredevil I enjoyed, but not, um, not to the point where, I mean, for me, Daredevil kind of reminded me of, like, say, like, The Wire, where it's, it's very cerebral. Um, so mm-hmm. I kind of, I took it in with, like, a, you know, um, a couple friends of mine and I were talking about it. I was like, I liked it. I, I, I enjoyed it, but it didn't give me the feeling like, say, a Jessica Jones or a Luke Cage or afterwards. I was just like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> like, you know, I was just like, I just watched mm-hmm. it to get a little bit of background and, 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 and keep it going. So I will say this, I would say Luke Cage, definitely number one in my book. And I know it's a lot of it is with the music and um, and then Jessica Jones right after uh, yeah Jessica Jones right after because she's just a badass and um, I got to give credit to any woman that could be day drunk um, you know pretty much all the time <laughs> so it's like that's my that is my goal in life sometimes so I I, I really liked our character and the writing of that show um I think I'm kind of at the same. So I loved Jessica Jones. Obviously, Luke Cage is way above Daredevil for me. Um, but when it comes to um, Jessica Jones' story storyline for me, especially dealing with um, abuser dynamics, it, it kind of hit, has hit home in several places for me. So it's kind of hard for me to... Uh, choose because I get so immersed in both storylines it, it's it's blackness for me with Luke Cage and it's you know with Jessica Jones so I don't know I don't know man Luke Cage was just so much for me but I don't want to have to make this decision <laughs> and you don't have to yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah the there wasn't anything that I would say that it got wrong that I didn't like there were there were parts of characters that it obviously evolved from in the comic books that I appreciated so I wasn't like oh this isn't canon so like with Black Mariah's character I was just like oh okay yes this is I absolutely like this better um and um with um even what they did with um I didn't necessarily like what they how they like as Jamie said like how they um got rid of Cottonmouth but everything else was spot on for me I didn't have any any issues at all it was just a plus for me I wish I had more criticism but I really really don't um, for me, Daredevil, it, it's like, Daredevil's pretty good, um, but it's, you know, it's another white dude beating the crap out of people, and so it, that's why I'm like, 
with with Jessica Jones, like I really I I like that show. I really do. And the only reason why you know Luke Cage kind of edges out a little bit only because I just love a lot of the um, black female characters that was in Luke Cage. And um, I, I with Jessica Jones, I would have loved to see you know more of that. Um, but I. I, with, the way I feel with Jessica Jones is I feel like she has so much potential. Maybe it was the budget, <laughs> but um, the storyline was really good. Um, and I really feel like I wanted to see not only just her, you know, her mentally being strong, but also physically strong as well. Because you don't get to see that a lot in, you know, TV shows and you know these Marvel movies and stuff like I mean we got Wonder Woman now but that's kind of that's DC and so with in, in this show um, Luke Cage I'm just like I'm really excited w- about Misty Knight and Lieutenant Priscilla and I know I'm I'm also really excited about Claire you know she's Latina but like still I I'm so glad that she's like yeah no I'm gonna be a nurse for you know the superhero community down here. And so I just wanted to see more of those women of color uh, characters. And so that's why I'm kind of like, you know, really holding on to Luke Cage like that. I would watch that series. Uh, Yeah. Claire Claire Temple, nurse, night nurse. (laughs) Yes. I love the scene where she chased down the guy who... um, Yes! (laughs) Oh, yeah. What was that? Episode... Five? Five. Yeah. That yeah, that was, a, that was a great opening for, for Claire. Rosario is everything. She, 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 is. she knows it. She, she, and the fact that some people got upset that she didn't speak a lot of Spanish. I'm like, why does that have to be her identity? Because as a Latina myself, I don't speak. I speak Spanish, but I don't speak it. I don't pull it out to prove a point. And I love that about her dialogue. Her dialogue wasn't always in Spanish. And it was, when she did speak in Spanish, it was important. When she told her mom siempre, that was, that's all I needed. That was the only Spanish from her I needed because that's, it had a meaning to it. Words have meaning, guys. <laughs> and there was a great conversation where they were speaking a little Spanglish in the restaurant with the um, reference to, is it called a cuandera? Yes, uh, Santeria, and and I love that because that was just a little bit of culture yeah. that a lot of people don't know about. I mean, and and we talk. I, it's just something we don't talk about in my family. We know we have one. We just don't talk about her. I mean, we we love her to death. We just know what she does, and you know, blessings yeah. to be her. <laughs> but, exactly. I I mean, I, I, you know that that in itself is. Again, that's a pretty big deal to have those kind of conversations in a Marvel TV show. Like, I think that that's awesome that even that small moment for the little bit of screen time we got was inserted into the show. So that was pretty cool to see. Um, so, so for me, I I love Luke Cage better than Jessica Jones, better than Daredevil. When I saw Jessica Jones when that premiered, I was like, oh, Jessica Jones is way better than Daredevil. Um, but now Luke Cage is better than both. And, and really the reason for me is one, which Gabby touched on, is the representation and depiction of the black women on this show. Um, this show is incredibly feminist, womanist. 
Um, You see black women in these positions of authority that I've never seen in a Marvel film or TV show. Um, I mean, as many, like, for example, we've got Detective Missy Knight. We've got Inspector Priscilla Ridley. We have Captain Betty Aubrey. Um, I mean, these are women that have titles that are running Harlem's law enforcement. That's a big freaking deal. Um, And even on the flip side of that, you've got folks like um, Mariah Dillard, who's a a congresswoman, or a councilwoman, rather, and um, even Mama Mabel, who's, you know, like a crime boss in herself. Like, I, I just haven't seen that. And it was so refreshing to see villainous roles played by black women and then black women who are like kicking ass and doing really fabulous detective work um and then you're seeing the personal side to their story as well as really cool action sequences i'm speaking of missy knight here um so i i really appreciated that as as a black woman as a woman of color it just spoke to me um and even race and gender aside the story was just really good. <laughs> it was just really good narrative, and it was told very well. The music was a character in itself. I really think that this show needs to get a lot more credit for the fact that the music helped enhance and um, help the story develop in a lot of ways that other TV shows haven't been able to quite capture. So I, I really respected that about uh, Luke Cage. And also... Uh, Daredevil, unfortunately, in season two got it wrong when it came to the Asian characters. And Luke Cage actually did a great job, I thought, with the representation of of Connie, um, the owner of Genghis Connie. And and I I really loved seeing that relationship with her and her husband and and the interaction that she had with Luke Cage. Um, I really liked the fact that she wasn't speaking like thick broken English like sometimes you know that you see these characters Asian American characters cast in these roles and you know they're playing the role of an immigrant and then they have this really thick broken English and it's like it's not always like that for immigrant immigrant Asians and um, I, I just really appreciated that and I even saw some discussion on social media from Asian American fans about that and they really noticed it as well so it, it was really cool to see that affirmation that they saw what I saw that, you know, the representation was done in a positive light where kind of Marvel went some steps backward in season two of Daredevil. So, yeah, all of those things together. I just Luke Cage is by far uh, a better show uh, than than all both Daredevil and uh, Jessica Jones put together. They got everything right. Uh, the only thing that I don't think they got right was the tropey villain. That's about it. Um, but aside from that, you know, it, it's it's one of the best shows that I've seen yet, and I look forward to seeing more. I think uh, Daredevil kind of did Asians dirty as early as season one, where Matt Murdock agonizes about everyone else's death, but the Japanese dude he burns to death. You know, whatever. He doesn't yeah, acknowledge. He doesn't even. He doesn't even care yeah. about. Him. Yeah. Right. He doesn't acknowledge that he killed him to the following season. And nice. then he doesn't even care then. He's like, oh, well, you're alive now. But, you know, I'm probably going to kill you again and also not agonize about you this time, too. So he kills that guy twice in two seasons. and He doesn't even care. He doesn't care. And then did he make a reference to that I don't kill anybody? Like, that's not what I do? Like, yeah. Yeah. 
And I'm yeah, like, wait, but you did, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you totally did. I don't know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I mean, that, and that's the problem. I, and who knows? I mean, I think, no, who knows? I know exactly what it is. It says a lot about the fact that when you have someone behind the camera who is a person of color, who can understand the experiences of other people of color, then they're going to be more sensitive to things than 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 the white dudes. And uh, there was a huge blind spot with Asian Americans and, and Asians on Daredevil both seasons. So uh, it's unfortunate that they got that wrong because it was such a significant part of the story. And a lot of that, you know, got tainted by many fans of color and uh yeah daredevil daredevil to me could have been a way better show if they got those storylines right um and and also kept ben urich around (laughs) that too yeah i also feel like some people are gonna be a little bit apprehensive of iron fist and so now it's kind of like there's extra eyeballs on this show when it comes out i mean i mean i mean are we (laughs) Are we? Hmm. I mean, and, and here's the thing: it's like part, especially like because I love comics so much, and I grew up with the Iron Fist comics. This whole '70s yellow fever crap could be mm. so moved for, like Pop said, forward always. They could have done it, but they decided not to. Granted, I watched Ultimate Spider-Man with my child. Danny is white on the show. Mm-hmm. I would want something mm-hmm. different. I think we're at the point in 2016 that we can get something different. So mm-hmm. we'll I agree. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. I mean, he dresses like he's headed to Coachella or Burning Man. I don't <laughs> I'm like really interested to see how this goes and how Missy, if she falls in love with him, I, I'm gonna need. That's what's keeping me so interested is because I want to see if that relationship does happen because it's a big part of Misty's story. So uh, I'm curious to know if they're going to go with the whole white savior trope that the comics is known for. I mean, that's, and that's why a lot of people were campaigning for an Asian American iron fist because of, you know, Oh, well we need to have the white dude (laughs) teach us our ways of our culture. Like, I mean, the, the comic was done back in a time where it was just a very archaic time. Um, so you would think in 2016 that they would go ahead and actually be more progressive in casting an Asian American, uh, you know, actor to play that role. So I, I don't know. I, it's, I'm not that excited for Iron Fist. I'll be completely honest with you. I'm not that excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad. (laughs) I know it kind of like it makes you feel bad because you know Luke Cage and Danny are like best friends. friends. And I read like I read Power. You like you know how hard that is to tell your child who's reading Iron Fist and Power Man that he can't watch Luke Cage. He's like, why? I'm like, because there's blood. (laughs) Like, 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 no. But then you know that Danny and Luke have a great, you know, rapport. Yeah. And then Misty, Misty will have her relationship with Danny, and I don't see that chemistry with Simone Missick, and I don't know the actor's name. Well, I forgot his name, but Loris and, and Simone. I don't see it. <laughs> that Loris. <laughs> yeah, that's really all I know him for. I 
I don't think anybody else knows him for anything else either, but I, yeah. Loras from Game of Thrones, that's all I know you from, dude. Well, I mean, like, I'm not really looking to the Defenders either, because it's like, the shows I actually care about have to be put on pause so they can team up with Daredevil for a while, and... Right. (laughs) It's like it's like wow, like um, it's like Jessica Jones and like Luke Cage back together again. I can't wait to see that. It's like, but mopey guy who doesn't kill is on for the he's along for the ride too. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess this is worth a year of not seeing Jessica Jones and Luke Cage in like their own stories. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, we can get like a Marvel Gotham, like a New York City where like fists and Black Mariah just go around wreaking all types of hell, I would watch that every I day. would watch that. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it would be, di- like, it would be different if if it was, like, involving Fisk and Black Mariah, but it's gonna be, like, talking about Mephisto instead, and, like... I like I mean, Mephisto, though. <laughs> I, I mean, I like Mephisto, but, like, the thing is, is that, like, I feel like it should have been something that was built up more. Like, yeah. it's, t- it's like taking a pause from the story to talk about some completely different dude. Right. And, well, and I am it, looking for, the the one thing I am looking forward to is Misty Knight, which it, oh. it was recently announced that she will be in the Defenders. So if there's anything to look forward to, it's at least her appearance. Mm-hmm. Can we take five seconds to appreciate the fineness that it shades? Just five seconds. No. Oh, you can have two Someone seconds. Five no. <laughs> <laughs> five seconds. No. Like he was just, I don't know what it was, but then like I don't know. I, don't I, know either. I, I think he's and I saw Theo Rossi oh, no. person over at San Diego Comic Con. He is very easy on the eyes, so I totally agree with you. Um <laughs> I am really for more for you guys. because there's something about his smile and his laugh that really struck me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I was actually checking for him, which I'm like that when it comes to villains. Like, some, like, really compelling villains, I'm, like, strangely attracted to them. Oh, yeah. I was, I was definitely here for Carmouth, but not, not, not Shades. No. Shades was just, like. I'm with Kayla. I, I think he's fine. He was fine, and he was, like, the way he would come in, like, I, I don't know. Like, I was not ready for him. And then, like, he came, and he was, like, I'm pulling every string. And he and is. Alex was fine, though, too. Mariah's uh, number one. Oh, Tony? Oh, you mean poor man's Michael Ely? Alex? The light skin dude, like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Alex. Yeah, he was yeah. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. See, I don't know. He's shifty. I, I that see, he's like shifty. Like shifty. I don't trust you. You can't even be cute, shifty. So uh, no. But I hope that Turk ends up in an Iron Fist and gets like I don't know. I don't care how, but Turk is like my new favorite cameo person ever because he's just always in the wrong (laughs) when he said y'all niggas is crazy I'm going back to Hell's Kitchen I was like yes (laughs) and the most ironic part about that is that he's definitely getting beat up in Hell's Kitchen (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. He was like, I'm going back to Hell's Kitchen where it's safe. Dude, do you remember what happened to you <laughs> in Hell's that, Kitchen? <laughs> that line kind of reminds me of when Iron Man 3, when that guy quit AIM automatically. He's like, I don't even know these guys. They're so weird. And he's like, <laughs> Speaking of Iron Man, one last question because I know we got to wrap up. But what do you guys think about the reference to Hammer Technologies and Justin Hammer and Luke Cage? And do you think by Luke going back to Seagate, because we know in Iron Man 2 he goes to Seagate, he, he's in prison. So do you think that Luke Cage is going to meet with Justin Hammer at all? I hope so. I hope so because I know that Sam Rockwell has been champing at the bit to be back in the MCU. He want, he's been wanting to be an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. For, and willing to be paid in like a pack of beer. And like they just haven't cast him in anything yet. And like um, I feel like you just do not put Sam Rockwell on the back burner when he wants to be in something. He kind of like, he was like one of the high points of that movie. So yeah. I, feel like, I feel like you have to get him back. I like his whole like what if Michael Dell tried to act like Steve Jobs act with the Tony stuff? Like, you know, because like, he tries so hard to be like Tony Stark, but he's like this really weak knockoff. Right. right. And I was hoping that that's going to be the... I'm sorry. I'm going to keep saying this. I want Misty to get her badass arm. So I'm like looking for all the links to how this is going to happen. So I was like, I don't know. So let's see. Because you know they're not going to give us like her you're, they're not gonna let us see what happens because yeah. it's not you know a movie so it'll be interesting to see how much further they go with the hammer tech um which was funny to me I, my boyfriend was like he laughed when they were like yeah we got this bullet that's gonna like explode and he was like it's hammer tech and my boyfriend just laughed like yeah it's not gonna work right but okay <laughs> like <laughs> good luck like it's hammer tech i mean it's never gonna go right that's why he was like yeah the suit is hammer i'm like yeah i mean it ain't gonna do you much good but okay i mean it'll work for a little bit and then it's gonna break like yeah good luck excellent well thank you guys so much for discussing all things luke cage with us on this special edition of the black girl nerds podcast uh, before we go, I'd like for each of you guys to give the opportunity to shout anything out, let our listeners know where they can find you on Twitter, and let us know what, what you're up to. And we'll, well start with, yeah, we'll, we'll start in the same order that we did um, when we first started. I am JN Monk. You can find me on Twitter at, at JN underscore Monk. I am working on an all-ages superhero comic story called Starhammer, which you can find at starhammercomic.com and I'm working on um, a YA graphic novel with a good friend Harry Bogosian about a black girl who saves the world so it's called Topside, I hope you like it uh, This is Kayla, you can find me on Twitter at Maria underscore Hisella and I won't be at NYCC but I will be at Geek Girl Con this weekend and if you are in Seattle you should definitely stop by because there's going to be some amazing stuff that's going on and I, th- I think everybody will really like it. Um, this is Kristen, you can actually uh, find me with uh, at Mia the Pug on, on Twitter. Um, I'm not really up to anything uh, right now um, because I'm about to go on a family vacation, so I'm 
kind of shutting down. But I do recommend to any of you who are real uh, music geeks to definitely check out the Quest Love um, uh, show that's on, um, not Spotify, but um, I can't think of the other uh, radio name. Pandora, sorry. Um, definitely check out the Quest Love thing on Pandora. Um, it's got it's got some great stuff, and I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up um, bringing in some stuff regarding um, Luke Cage and stuff like that. Hey guys, I'm Tora. Um, I'm on Twitter at at Black Magic. It's spelled. Um, Super extra. It's B-L-A-C-K-M-A-J-I-I-K. Also, I just Googled Theo Rossi, and he might be Zaddy. Um, so you guys might be right. Apologies. Um, <laughs> um, I am also, if you guys don't find me obnoxious, I'm on two other podcasts in front of company, and it's split in color. Um, and links to that are on my Twitter, so find me on Twitter, I guess. (laughs) Um, I'm Gabby. You can find me at, I think you can just put in my handle, uh, Wiggity Whack Gabby, um, on Twitter. Um, right now, uh, we're actually on the last three days of the Kickstarter for Power and Magic, the queer, um... Uh, Witches of Color uh, anthology. Uh, The Kickstarter is, I've retweeted it a lot. Um, We have like $1,500 left. And please, please back it up. (laughs) And um, also, like, just check it out. It's really, it was really fun to work on. And there's a lot of great artists on there, too. Um, Yeah, Power and Magic. Excellent. And I am Jamie. You can find me on Twitter at Black Girl Nerds or my personal Twitter at Jamie Broadnax. And join us if you're going to be in New York this weekend, New York Comic Con. There's going to be a meetup. I am working again with Keith Chow of Nerds of Color. And it's the Black Girl Nerds of Color meetup. That's Friday, October 7th at 8 p.m. Eastern time over at Bullmore Lanes. So check that out when you get a chance. You do need to get tickets to get in. Tickets are $15. It's $20 at the door. And you can go to our Facebook fan pages, either Nerds of Color or Black Girl Nerds, and you can find the link there to get tickets. Thanks, guys, for learning. Or excuse me, thank you guys for tuning in and listening. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Niggas fighting over rings. Niggas won't be the game, but long live the chief. For a little old thing, little boys bang bang. Long little cheek. Niggas fighting over rain, niggas won't be the game. Long little cheek. Yeah, watch pretty mama while I slay my cane. Long little cheek. Uh, cockroaches in the ratchet. Uh, hand me downs with the patches. Mama put a little money in the mattress. Taught me how to make a silver spoon out of plastic. You can either sink, swim, or be the captain. Get the last word, I'ma get the last laughing. Now they say you're dinner while you're dressing so classy. I don't want my best dressed day in the casket. You can either leave, follow, or get out the way. Make a fucking move, it will make my fucking day. Got a hundred year plan, you just think about the day. Always been about time, more than been about break. Y'all up with me. Usain could've run with me. Chief come to find you, you don't come for me. At best, 
verse, I could run the whole country. That's right. Pimp game like a brothel. That's why I don't judge a nigga's hustle. I Airbnb the crib like a hostel. Summer rate cheaper cause the streets get hostile. Shaka boy, this fire from a hobby boy. So no, I won't record for your homie boy. I turn the party out like a naughty toy. Then I go and hide in plain sight like a lobby boy. Yes, sir. That your dinner on the banner. Body for my niggas getting locked up in a slammer. Elders saying everything's a nail to a hammer. And niggas can't spell, but we know I Instagram Well done, better than well said. I read niggas well, a nigga well read. Really, I ain't met nobody smarter. That's why I got admitted, but I still rejected Harvard. I'm the Fresh Prince in a school where they couldn't read. Mama put me in a school with the Kennedys. When I met Bill Clinton, I was 17. But dead presidential's all my niggas need. Dining with the governor's daughter. And the father say I remind him of Obama. I'm the chief diplomat every day. And I'm black and white. Janelle Monáe. It won't be the king, but long little chief. For a little old thing, little boys bang, bang. Long little chief. Niggas fighting over ranks, niggas won't be the king, but long little chief. Now watch pretty mama while I slay my cane. Long little chief. That was a headgum podcast. <laughs>